I'm going to open us in prayer while Matt's handing out uh, sheets. Uh, Father, we're grateful for your loving kindness, thankful for this day, thankful for um, the opportunity to be together as your people, to worship together, to rest um, later today, um, to enjoy the gifts of the Sabbath, to look forward um, to the resurrection, um, which this day points towards the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and the future resurrection that we uh, will share with him. Um, Father, we're grateful for these things. Help us to cling to these promises. Grant us wisdom as we study and now your word in First John. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's good to see all of you today. Um, we're going to jump right back into First John today. I'm looking at First <clears throat> John chapter 3, uh, verses 3 to 18. Um, I'll be away next Sunday, but Elder Lauren Clark's going to be teaching and picking up um, with First John, continuing um, our class together. Um, any thoughts or questions or things um, that y'all have had on your mind since last Sunday or previous weeks about this epistle? Anything? Any comments to make? Any, any things to say? All right, well, let's, um, let's jump into the, the new passage today. I'm going to pick up reading in verse 4 of 1 John chapter 3. We'll go to verse 18. Um, just to set the context here, remember um, last week um, we dealt with that section um, where uh, just previous where John gives this great hope of um, sanctification and holiness uh, for those who belong to Christ, um, that we um, should abide in Jesus um, so that when he appears, we'd have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming, at his appearance. Um, John says in verse 29 of chapter 2, if you know that he that is our Lord is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And that, that concept of practicing righteousness versus making a practice of sinning is one that's going to be important. It's a huge contrast for John um, in this coming passage. And really, I mean, one of the ways to think about some of the distinctives of First John is the way that he um, deals with contrasts um, so much throughout his letter. Um, light and darkness, sin and righteousness, um, all sorts of things. He's, he's um, life with death. He's contrasting things throughout um, his epistle in that kind of way, love and hatred, etc. Um, he then, in the beginning of chapter 3, talks about the love that God has showed upon us, that we could be called the children of God through our union with Jesus and our adoption into um, God's own family. He says that we are now God's children. This, this truth of adoption is, is um, accurate for us even at this very moment, um, and yet what we will be has not yet appeared. So there's there is, a, there is a definitive aspect to our being adopted, but there's also something that we're growing into. We're becoming more and more like the children of God um, in this life, and that is what the Lord has laid out for us. Um, but when, we, when that comes to an end is when uh, Jesus appears, and he will make us then um, like himself, and we'll see him and become as he is, uh, John says, in the resurrection of the dead. And then he ends in verse 3 by saying, And everyone who thus hopes in him, that is, in Christ and in his appearing, purifies himself as he is pure. And so our calling is to purify ourselves, to put away sin, to embrace holiness um, as we um, look forward to uh, the resurrection. So now verses 4 to 18. Here's the contrast that John wants to make. 
Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. That is our Lord Jesus. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him, in Christ, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a few things just to say big picture here. I think that last verse of this section is significant. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Um, what John is really emphasizing in this section is the importance of integrity, um, the danger of dissimulation, of deception, um, even to ourselves or to others. Um, what he's calling for is a kind of um, fundamental correspondence between um, who we are in Christ and the way in which we um, live our lives in this world, the decisions that we make, um, the way that we respond to our sin, um, the way that we um, interact with others around us. <coughs> um, he's saying that if you belong to Christ, um, there are certain ways that you're going to live and embrace. And if you are not, if you belong then to the devil, remember that contrast, right? You're either a son of God or a son of the devil, according to John. Um, there will be other ways um, that you will act. Um, and, and, and he really wants to impress upon his reader the significance of integrity, of of there being that fundamental correspondence between um, who we are in God and who we are as we live with one another, um, and even as we live within our own hearts and lives. Um, so he begins by um, 
talking about these things. Whoever uh, makes a practice of sinning also practice lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Um, he goes on. I'm just going to read through verse 10. Um, you know that he that is our Lord Jesus appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Again, that emphasis on not being deceived um, by ourselves or by others. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Um, Calvin um, writes, he says, the sum of the passage is that the, the perverse life of those who indulge themselves in the license of sinning is hateful to God and is unendurable to him because it is against his law. Um, so Calvin is saying, he's not just talking about the fact that, I mean, all of us in this room are sinners. Um, um, all of us sin um, each day. Um, and yet what Calvin is, is saying is that John is distinguishing between um, that kind of sin and a, and a perverse life that is an indulgence in the license of sin. He's saying that indulging yourself in sin, um, taking license with sin, is hateful to God and it is unendurable to him because it is against his law. It does not follow from this, nor can it be inferred that believers are unrighteous. Um, so essentially what John is saying, according to Calvin, is that um, though we are sinners, that there's a way that we can talk about ourselves as being righteous. Um, and that has a definitive aspect, again, in sense of our union with Christ makes us holy. Um, but also we can talk about ourselves as righteous in the sense that, um, Lord willing, by the help of God's Spirit and grace, <coughs> we are putting off sin. Um, we are repenting. Um, we're turning away from those things that we do that we know are um, odor, <coughs> odious to God, excuse me. Um, for they, that is believers, Calvin says, want to submit to God and they abhor their own vices, even in individual offenses. And they also compose their life so far as they can to the obedience of the law. Um, so Calvin is, or, yeah, Calvin is making this distinction between those who give themselves over to sin and those who fight against sin. And for him, I think that's the distinction that John is making here. Um, to practice righteous does not mean um, that we um, never um, fail or we never fall short, um, but it means that we're pressing forward to that goal. We're putting off um, sin. Um, Robert Yarborough says, a uh, uh, professor at Covenant Seminary, he says, the effect of 1 John 3, 6 uh, which reads, no one who abides in Christ keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him. Is to join with 3-4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Um, the joining these two verses together depicts an antithesis to the person who has eschatological hope and therefore lives an ethically rigorous life, who 
purifies himself as our Lord is pure. Um, verse 3 of chapter 3. 1 John 3, 4, and 6 identify those who do not abide in Christ, but rather languish in anumia. Um, anumia is the Greek word that's translated lawlessness um, here in the English translation. An advanced or confirmed posture of non-compliance with John's message or the message of the apostles. Their defiance of Christ, as opposed to hope-generated ethical transformation because of him, violates the very purpose of his coming, as 3.5 is at pains to emphasize. Um, so really, John is, is distinguishing between kinds of people here. He's not saying, um, as we've talked about before, um, he's not advancing some sort of idea that um, sinless perfection is um, attainable um, for those who are in this life. Um, he is saying merely that there is a distinction um, between uh, the wicked and the righteous in terms of how they live their lives. And it's noticeable. It comes to the surface. Um, it appears it's apparent. Um, I know there may be some questions about that, like why does John say, you know, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Um, what do I do? I know that I continue to sin in various ways, and, you know, uh, you do and all of us do. Um, so what do we do with that? I mean, just a couple thoughts about that. One is we have to remember the principle for <coughs> interpretation that we talked about in our Westminster Confession of Faith um, earlier this year, which is that when you come to a, a difficult passage of Scripture, you use more clear um, passages to interpret it. And I think we can exclude the idea that um, John is, is um, commending some kind of sinless perfection here because there's so many places in the Scriptures that um, say otherwise, um, that say that, that all have sinned and fallen short. Um, think about Paul's words in Romans 7 as he writes and says, um, that which I do not want to do, I keep on doing. Um, there are all sorts of places in the scriptures where uh, we can be assured that it is true, um, that those who are in Christ will continue um, to sin and fall short. And so John is not talking here, I don't think, about some kind of sinless uh, perfection. Um, what he's talking about is practicing righteousness as opposed to practicing sinning. All right, I'm going to stop there and see if there are any comments or questions on this verses 4 to 10. Yeah, James. Yeah. Yes, they're present um, tense. So yeah. Right. Not necessarily Yeah, no, that's accurate. Pharisees that 
mm-hmm. which is also in um, where it says we don't. Whoever says to you without saying anything, um, deceive themselves. Right. Right. And they're deceiving themselves and others. And um, and so that is the main thing is that's also what that we all can be ranked to perfectly obey the law of what the law of Moses is. So mm-hmm. I don't know if this overlaps very well with that definition <coughs> yeah. the gospel and the gospel. Right. That's a great point in terms of that connection. With the gospel that the Pharisees, yeah, Jesus addresses them and calls them out as sons of the devil. Um, and he's calling them repentance there. He's calling them to turn away from their um, deceit, their self-deceit. Yeah, I appreciate that, James. I think that's right. That's a good, it's a good connection. Yeah, Jeremy. Yeah, certainly for John, section, yeah, the love of brother is the, is a fundamental test of whether or not you're practicing righteousness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Tyler. Uh-huh. I believe here that John is emphasizing, um, yeah, those who are in Christ. Um, brother means loving the your sibling in the church um, primarily doesn't exclude love for those outside the church, but I think it's certainly the emphasis here is on, um, yeah, loving loving those who are part of the new humanity in Christ, I would say. Yeah, Alan? Yeah, well, what I would say is um, it depends what we mean by keeping on sinning, you know. I think that's the key question, like how do we define what it means to keep on sinning. Um, If by keep on sinning we mean um, that I am aware of a sin in my life and um, I'm failing in it in terms of, you know, I'm falling into that sin again, 
and again, um, but, but there is a real repentance. There is a real confession um, that takes place. Um, there's acknowledgement to God that I am a sinner, that I need the forgiveness of Christ. Um, I, think, I don't think that's what John's describing here. I think what he's describing is a kind of um, giving yourself up to sin, essentially. Um, not you know, having a hardened heart towards repentance and towards the problem. Um, ignoring it, uh, pretending like it doesn't exist, or knowing that it exists but just not caring. Um, and I think that a person in that scenario who, is, who keeps on sinning in that sense should be concerned about their um, relationship to God. Um, that is, in my mind, evidence um, that they do not belong to Christ, that they, weren't, they were never his, so to speak. Um, so I think that's what I would, I would say. This is a totally appropriate passage to think about when we try to evaluate what it means to be sanctified and holy, uh, what it means if we are not on that trajectory. Um, I think we just have to define you know, the terms correctly. Um, does that help? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. What else? Are there other questions or comments from this section? Is that a hand, James, or is that a... No, you just... <laughs> Anybody else? All right, let's, um, let me look at some of these quotes from Calvin real quick. I really do want to hold... I think what John is doing for us helpfully is he is holding out for us um, a real vision of holiness, of transformation, of being made like Jesus um, that he wants us to embrace. And Jesus spoke in these terms himself, and certainly that's where John is receiving it. You know, Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Um, this is a test of my love, is your obedience to my law and to my instruction. And then he gives them, of course, the commandment of loving one another. Um, and I really do want to hold out for us this idea that we holiness and sanctification is something that we do and meant to embrace. And certainly John is doing that in this epistle. Um, Calvin writes regarding verse 5, which says, You know that he, that is Christ, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Um, Calvin says um, this isn't so much referring to Christ's work of atonement, not so much that he appeared to take away sins and that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, but rather, and Calvin says, in this place, John means that Christ really and actually, as they say, takes away sins because through him our old man is crucified and his spirit through repentance mortifies our flesh. Mortifies means puts to death our flesh with all its depraved desires. This is the sanctification of the Spirit. Um, so Calvin argues, I think rightly, that what is emphasized here about Christ's taking away sin is, I mean, obviously John believes in propitiation. He's talked about it earlier in chapter 2 at the beginning, um, that we have this advocate. If anyone does sin, he says at the beginning of chapter 2, then we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Um, he died as propitiation for the sins, for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Um, John says. Um, but here what he's emphasizing is the way in which Christ comes to make us holy, um, not only to forgive us our sins, but to transform our ethical lives, to make us uh, like himself in that way. Um, he sanctifies us, he makes us holy um, by his spirit. In verse 6, Calvin says, believers are said not to sin, um, no one keeps on sinning, etc., etc., 
Although they labor under the infirmity of flesh, they do not consent to sin, but in fact struggle and groan so that they can truly testify with Paul in Romans 7 that they do the evil that they would not do. He says that believers abide in Christ because we are by faith engrafted in him and united to him. Um, so again, Calvin is making that distinction I've talked about that, that to give yourself over to sin, to, to practice sin, um, means um, to, to not groan, um, to not feel conviction, to not embrace repentance, not to confess um, that sin to God. On verse 8, Calvin says, The life of God in Christ is not present where men act perversely and wickedly. On the contrary, such are slaves of the devil. This is not, you know, um, very <coughs> winsome language, you know, to use the wet term as it's used in our uh, culture today, um, to say that those who are outside of God um, are sons of the devil. Um, and yet this is the way that the scripture speaks. Um, here um, in John, First John and, and elsewhere, um, there is this great antithesis that is drawn between those who are living their lives in obedience and submission to God and those who are rebelling against him. And I do think we have to think seriously about this. John is going to unpack this more when he talks about the kind of behavior that those who are sons of the devil engage in, um, the kind of murderous hatred um, that Cain exemplified, um, driven by jealousy and anger. Um, and I'm not saying that we should go around, you know, standing on street corners just crying out um, to the general public, you are all sons of the devil. Um, I don't know that that's wise um, or appropriate, but I do think as we think about the ways that we try to live as a church, um, we do have to understand that there is this antithesis, there is this objection. Um, there's no one who is neutral to God. Um, that that does, doesn't exist, um, biblically speaking. Um, you are either living your life in submission to Jesus Christ and his reign and rule, or you are a rebel against him, um, and you are seeking to undermine it and subvert it. And, and I, this, this is something we have, to, we have to not be ashamed to think about um, that and talk about it um, because it's the way the scriptures talk. And I do think it makes a difference um, as we think about um, the world around us. In verse 9, um, Calvin uh, says um, in response to John's writing, No one born of God makes a practice of sin, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Calvin writes, God's children must needs labor under faults and sin daily. That in that is, inasmuch as they still have some remnants of their old nature. Remember what John said in chapter 1. If you say you have no sin, you're a liar. The truth is not in you. Um, so he's not excluding the possibility of sin. Nevertheless, Calvin says, the apostles' contention stands firm that the end of regeneration is to destroy sin and that all who are begotten of God live righteously and godly because God's spirit corrects the lusting of the sin. God's spirit so forms the hearts of the godly to upright affections that the flesh and its lusts do not prevail but are tamed and as it were yoked. I love that picture that Calvin gives is what sanctification looks like. It's a taming of our lusts and desires. It's a, they're being yoked, they're being put under um, guidance, um, they're being controlled so that they are checked, they're held back. In short, the apostle ascribes the superiority and the elect to the spirit who suppresses sin by his power and does not let it 
flourish. If the Spirit is active in your life, um, then he will be doing these kinds of things. Um, and, and it's significant for us to examine our lives and, and think about that. Any final thoughts or questions on this section before I move on to 11 to 18? And this, this do, I'll just say this, this doesn't happen all at once. Um, and the life of a believer, sanctification is a process. Um, as we grow in Christ, there'll be some sins that we become more aware of, that we were less aware of previously. And, um, and that's just an evidence of our fallen state, of our blindness. Um, but hopefully, um, we, as we grow, we're becoming more aware of the sin in our lives. And we're seeking, uh, and we're feeling convicted by it. We're putting it off. And this is certainly my sense and my experience as a Christian, and I hope it's yours as well, um, that, that advancing in holiness becoming, means becoming more, not less, aware of sin um, that you are guilty of, sin that you commit, sin that you're um, involved in, in terms of your thoughts and your desires and your posture towards others. Um, and that's not evidence that, you know, God is not at work in you. It's evidence that he is, um, particularly as when you're confronted by that sin, either through the internal working of the Spirit or perhaps through others in your life, right, in the church um, who, are, who are confronting you about things. Um, how do you respond to that? What do you do with that? Do you put that off? Do you submit to it um, is the key question in terms of holiness. Make sense? All right, let me, um, let me read verses 11 to 17, it's in the, or 18. It's on the back of your handout. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And John here, of course, is referring back to the words of our Lord um, at the Last Supper. Um, as he washed his disciples' feet and told them that they should do as to one another as he did to them, that they should love one another. We should not be like Cain, John says, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. So Cain is a kind of picture of, um, of the devil. Um, and, and as you think about Genesis 3 and 4, you can see um, this, that um, the seed of the serpent um, is going to uh, bruise the head of the, he, of the, of the um seed of the woman, um, but he's going to crush them. And, 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 and this is um, a picture of um, the way in which uh, the seed of the serpent is lashing out at the seed of the woman um, when Cain um, kills Abel. Um, he is acting in a satanic way in, there, in that um, situation. He is um, seeking to, um, to destroy um, um, the, one who, the son who is godly. Um, in, this, in a similar way that Satan seeks to destroy um, Adam and Eve in the garden. He says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Why did Cain do it? I mean, that's a great question there in Genesis 4, right? What, what, what's going on? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. I think that's a really profound thing that John's talking about here and something that's worth reflecting on. Um, essentially what he's saying is that Cain murdered his brother Abel because he was jealous. 
um, because he saw the righteousness of his brother and he hated it. Um, he um, was envious of what Cain or what Abel had, and instead of repenting um, and submitting himself, he sought to destroy him because he couldn't live in a world um, where his brother was being blessed by God. And I, I think that's a really profoundly um, uh, story that, that gives us a, a lens to view our lives and how we relate to those who are outside of Christ. Um, very often this is a dynamic um, that you will be hated, Jesus says, for my name's sake. And, and, and he says that multiple times in his ministry on a number of occasions. And he's not, he's not speaking in, you know, he's not being hyperbolic. Um, he, he really is saying this, and he really does mean it. And it's very likely that if you have followed Christ, um, that you have been hated. Um, by um, a family member, um, by um, a, a close friend, by a roommate, by someone who uh, was once uh, loved you and cared about you. And, and I, what I want to suggest to you is that often, I mean, maybe some of that you brought on yourself by your own sinfulness or whatever, but um, it's very possible that that hatred is directed towards you because this is the way um, that those who are sons of the devil interact with those who are sons of God or children of God. Um, it's, it's hatred, it's, and it's hatred that's driven by envy, um, and it's violent. And, and I, I don't know what to say except that this is a real thing. It's a real thing that I've experienced in my life, and it's a real thing I'm, li I'm confident that all of us um, have likely experienced in some way. And it's driven by this, this kind of, um, yeah, it's driven by jealousy, it's driven by envy. Um, it, it's someone looking at your life and seeing that you um, are stable, that you are um, faithful to God, that your life has purpose and meaning, and they can't handle that um, in their, their fear and their anxiety and their insecurity, and so they, um, they want to destroy you. Um, and I, what I'm saying here is that John gives us a kind of lens for what it means to follow Jesus, um, is that if, if you follow Jesus, if you have the kind of life that John is talking about here, you will attract um, those who are the sons of Cain um, who will seek um, to put you to death, metaphorically, hopefully, um, but they, the world will hate you. Don't be surprised, um, John says, that the world hates you. Any thoughts about that before we talk more about what it means to love your brothers? Anybody? Sure. Yeah, well, what did Jesus do for those who hated him? He died for them, right? You know, he washed their feet. He served them. Um, and I think that's a picture. Don't get me wrong. Like me saying that people are going to hate you because you follow Jesus, I'm not trying to give us any license to, like, you know, respond in kind. Um, I think we are called to love 
we're called to um, be long-suffering. Um, it do, now, this doesn't mean in the context of particular personal relationships that it's inappropriate to have boundaries, you know, with a family member that's constantly hurting us or, you know, it's just, there's this constant kind of uh, manipulation or, you know, all of those things, right? So certainly um, there's nothing wrong with wise boundaries, um, but they can't be driven by bitterness or hatred. Um, they have to be driven by love. And, and sometimes it's those boundaries that can actually lead people to repentance. They can say, oh, this is, I'm not, you know, going to be allowed to continue to engage in this behavior that's abusive or wrong. And that can, I don't, I don't know exactly what you're asking, but that's, that's kind of a general principle, I would say, that, that I, don't, I, don't, I think there, there is wisdom in that kind of thing and, and putting separation um, at times between ourselves and those that are actively harming us. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, but, but again, I think it, it is significant, the motivation for why we do that. Um, if others speak to us in words that are... Um, cruel or harsh or demeaning, uh, we're not permitted to respond in kind, right? Um, we're not responding, we, we, we don't get, we don't do that. Um, that's not the way of Jesus. Um, but it is not, it's not wrong for us to protect ourselves from, um, you know, kind of constant abuse or mistreatment. Sure, yeah, yeah. We 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 can't engage in sinful behavior, some kind of evangelistic method or something. Oh, absolutely, and that, that, that those are the similar kind of boundaries I'm talking about. Absolutely, yeah. Just with Jeremy. Yeah, I, I, I would just, I, I would, I think this is a helpful passage in terms of understanding the reasons why people mistreat us, and I, I think it's worth thinking about mistreatment that you receive in your life. Um, even presently, and if examining it through the lens that John gives here, um, that why why did Cain murder his brother? It's because Cain, because Abel's deeds were righteous and his own were evil, um, and he couldn't he couldn't handle that. He couldn't stand it. 
Um, and he had two choices at that point. One was to repent and submit and to, you know, align himself with Abel and to acknowledge Abel's righteousness, um, or it was to destroy him. And that's what he chose to do. And, um, and that, that's how those who are not of God, who are children of the devil, reveal that they're children of the devil, that they, they seek to destroy the children of God. And, it, and this, isn't, this isn't just some long ago story. This um, happens in real time in our lives. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Jesus, of course, said that first. John is simply um, reiterating it. All right, so let's 16 through 18. In the few moments we have left, I'm going to talk about love for brothers. By this we know love, John says, that for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So essentially what Calvin, or John is doing, rather, is um, he's arguing from the sort of greater to the lesser. He's saying, how um, do we know love? We know that he laid down his life for us, right? Jesus died for us. And that's how we know love um, from God. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So we're, we're called to this high standard. Jesus um, tells us that we should love one another as he loves us and he died for us. And so he says, so if anyone has the world's goods, like if we're called to that high of a standard, um, this kind of service that leads to death, then certainly if anyone has the world's goods, if you have possessions, if you have resources, um, if you have time, um, if you have money, if you have property, if you have a home with a bed in it, um, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Um, do you see what John's doing there? He's saying, you know, Jesus loved you by dying for you. Ultimately, you're called to that kind of love for one another. So certainly you're called to give away things. Certainly you're called to practice hospitality. Certainly you're called to provide for people um, in the church who have um, needs physically. Um, and, and that's primarily what he's describing here in verse 17. And he is, you know, just looking back at that question um, Tyler asked earlier, this, he's talking here not just about love for anyone, but particularly for love for those to whom you're united in Christ and, and connected to in Jesus. Um, you know, to make it really specific, he's talking about love for the people who are in this room with you right now, right? That's what he's talking about. Um, love for the brothers in that sense, um, those who are particularly in community with you in the church. Um, this, is, this is how God's love is made apparent in us, that we care for one another. Um, we meet each other's needs. Um, we uh, serve one another in that way. Little children, um, uh, John says, let us not love in word or talk, Let's not just say that we love each other. Let's practice it in deed and in truth. Um, let's be those who love one another um, with concrete action, um, with integrity, um, not simply in word. Any thoughts about that? A few minutes we have left. Jeremy, yeah.
Sure. Yeah. I, I would just say, I mean, I think what I'm arguing, Jeremy, um, is that the reason why the world hates us is not primarily because we're intolerant about whatever it is that we're intolerant. They hate us. We're hated because our deeds are righteous and theirs are evil. Like there's a spiritual element to these things is what I'm arguing. There's a kind of mimetic rivalry, a kind of fundamental envy and jealousy that even that's deeper than any kind of misunderstanding, so to speak, about what the church teaches or doesn't. Or that's, that's what I would argue, just that there, there's, a, there's this kind of fundamental, um, and you saw that with Jesus, you know? Um, he was hated because he was envied, and I think that's, that the, that's, the, I think that's the case for us as believers. Uh, when you cut down underneath all the other stuff, all the noise, um, why did, why did Cain mur murder his brother? Because his brother's deeds were righteous and his own were evil. That's a, that's a verse really to reflect and ponder. Um, I would also say, just, I just want to, before we close, just make sure I comment on this aspect of loving one another. Uh, friends, what John is arguing here is that helping out other people in need in the church, serving them um, with your time, with your resources, with whatever it is you possess, is not some sort of just like, you know, good thing to do, you know. Um, it's like fundamental for John, right? He's saying if you don't do this, if this is not a part of your life, um, serving others in the church, um, the love of God does not abide in you. I mean, that's like, that's a huge deal. And this, this is, I mean, there are many reasons why there, are, there cannot be Christians outside of the church, but this is one of the reasons, right? People who do this, who say, oh, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Well, what does that mean? Well, I watch, you know, some TV show or whatever on Sunday mornings of church or whatever, and I just sort of practice my Christian faith. Like, that person is not living in obedience to this command that John gives. Um, they're not loving the brothers. They're not loving the brothers with their presence and worship. They're not loving their brothers by serving others in the church um, through uh, sacrifice, um, through, res you know, sharing resources. Um, and, and according to John, like, that's a big deal. That's not just like an extra add-on for, I mean, that's like the essence of the faith for John, um, is that kind of love for one another. And so I just, I just would put that before us to think about, like, this is, 
why the church, one of the reasons why the church matters so much is because the church is the place where we give expression to this command where we obey Jesus when he says love one another. Um, we have to have a relationship with other people in order to love them. It's just fundamental. Yeah, Matt and then Eric and then we'll close. Shout out to Deacon's Fund. Here, here. Eric? Right. Yeah, that's true. There's there's two different responses there. Yeah, yeah, and and certainly if, yeah, <laughs> if you're going through your life and every single person that you're in a relationship with hates you, <laughs> who's who's not you know who's not a Christian, they're all trying to destroy you. Um, that that may be a problem. Um, but I th- I do think often there are certain people um, who are outside of um, who are not children of God who are hating us and I, what I'm trying to do is give us some explanatory understanding of why that might be according to the Bible um, so no, I, I the point well taken I understand what you're saying yeah all right let's stand and pray Heavenly Father we are grateful for your word we're thankful for John we're thankful for his wisdom by your spirit that you have given to us through him uh, help us father to reflect on these things in our heart to ponder them and uh, grant us um, grace as we seek to practice them in our lives. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.